Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. I'm Molly. And this is your first time joining us. We thank you for visiting and allowing us to speak into your eardrums. We are a happily married couple of four children, ages 10 through 3, and we homeschool, live in Montana, um, and generally and do a podcast, I guess. I don't yep. have anything else to add other than that. And Molly's been sleeping for the last two weeks. Yep. Yep. We got colds and stuff going through the house. No fun. Yep. No fun. Yep. The fatigue uh, is real. And the fatigue has made me a not very happy mom. I've realized it. there's something really special about people who have chronic health conditions and who have joy despite it. I struggle tremendously to have joy, to persevere through physical pain and serve others, to just generally be a fun person to be around when I'm struggling (laughs) physically. And I know this because I've had extreme morning sickness four times. And so for nine times four, 36 months, three years of my life, I have been basically bedridden and miserable. And it, those have probably been the toughest times of our marriage because it's just, it just grates on you. It goes on and on and on. And there's no relief from the physical suffering. And there are people who just live this way. There's no hope filled expectation. Like there is when you're pregnant that, I'll get a baby at the end of this and I will not be suffering anymore. I remember when Titus was born, I had gotten about a month of relief from maybe month seven and a half to eight and a half or month seven to eight of extreme morning sickness. And I did, I remember, do you remember we went to New York City before the Peacemaker Conference and I was pregnant with Titus and I had such a tremendous cold, and you can't take cold medicine when you're pregnant. I was actually gargling cayenne pepper to try to get relief from my sore throat. <laughs> I was so miserable. And so anyway, that was in my morning sickness interlude. But the minute the baby came out, I was like, give me all the food. I'm so hungry. And food sounded so good for the first time in nine months. Hmm. And I remember that very clearly, wanting to eat nonstop in the hospital, just because in hospital food isn't that great, but it was real food and it tasted real good. So anyway, (laughs) I've been feeling that a little bit this week. Just I snuggled up with Faith before and after just now and read her two books. And I was like, I don't think I've really snuggled with her and enjoyed her. You have been. You sit Mm -hmm. out in the fire pit and let the kids run around screaming and have a great time enjoying how much fun they're having and their screams hurt my head and so I just don't even want to be out there with them yeah I like being out there with them it's fun and then but the problem is if I snuggle up with Faith um, or any of the girls I'll fall asleep in a few minutes so I don't typically try to snuggle (laughs) well I was just reading to her that I I was in our bed and I won't let her try to nap in our bed because she doesn't nap. She just plays and talks. So, anyway. Funny. If well, you have chronic physical suffering and you are a joy-filled person, 
You are a testimony to God's grace, and I admire you, even if I don't know you. So there's that. Well done. And in case you missed it last week uh, or haven't followed any of our other uh, circumvents or didn't receive an email from me or something, we did start a Telegram channel and a Telegram group in it. And there's active members in it. Not too many, but active. And it's just, it's fun. The conversations just don't even include us, which is wonderful. It's just mm-hmm. like one of those things where it's like, you know, I'm just here to bring people together. People are great. So that's hey, fun. So I actually have a title for this episode already. Oh, do you? I do. It's called We Have the Best Listeners. Oh, I need to um I need to make notes for today so I know what to put down and stuff. Otherwise So and there's a whole there's a whole litany of reasons that I've been accumulating in my mind. But one of them is the fun of the telegram channel and people getting to be directly in touch with each other. Uh another is our last episode two weeks ago, we quoted the line between good and evil goes through each person's heart Yeah, and said, if anybody knows what that is, give us a holler, Addie, within, I mean, she knew, she knew it. And so she texted me. It's, well, that's because Addie's smarter than She is smart. It's also kind of embarrassing that we didn't know this. This is, it's Alexander Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago. And he says, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Hmm. So that was Solzhenitsyn. Uh, brilliant as always. Solzhenitsyn is one of those words. It's almost as hard to pronounce as Worcestershire. It is. You all, you just say it really fast and hope people also <laughs> feel a little or, bit embarrassed or, or at not being able it. to pronounce Solzhenitsyn. Yeah, they they know. Good thing. Good thing. Nobody would give you. How do you think you spell Solzhenitsyn off the top of your head? There's a Y and an N. Well, it starts with a maybe a Z. Uh huh. Starts with an S. Okay, S O L S O L Z. That's easy. O L Z. S O L Z. S O L S. H E N I T S Y N. If Addie's text is to be believed on the proper spelling. Well, I'm sure it probably autocorrected. And it was, and it's probably right because it's Addie. Anyway, if you want to join us on Telegram or you've never used it at all. you can download. It's a private group, so if you jump on Telegram and try to search for it, you're not going to find it. Um, I will include a link in the show notes, a group link that you can just click on, and it'll open up for you. And I'd like to welcome, um, let's see, uh, John C. from Billings, Montana, <laughs> and Kathy G. from Billings, Montana, whom last night... At Kathy G's husband's 70th birthday party, I installed a podcast addict on their Android phones and subscribed them to our podcast at their their requests. They're both their various requests. And so Sandy, one of your floating partners, uh, River floating partners, uh, turned Kathy onto the show and she just thinks we're absolutely lovely. So we had a fun birthday party last night. And Kathy wanted me to mention that. She's like, I better hear about this on the show. Hilarious. And also the Praying Mantis episode lives on. We're still getting feedback from the Praying Mantis. Because everyone seems to have a Praying Mantis story of some sort. 
so that's fun. Did I tell you that we had a praying mantis lay an egg sack on the back wheel of Faith's Strider bike? Well, that's a terrible. Did place I tell to put you that it was? Sack? It doesn't seem super. Can you move wise? It? Sort of the sort of thing or that a bug now? with a bug brain would do, even if it is one that makes eye contact with you. Uh, I did move it, so it hardens into this kind of. It's. Should we it just was about to it over the winter. It was about the size a of a one of those giant caterpillars you find, mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was it was felt like styrofoam you know the spray styrofoam insulation yeah. that's what it felt like wait well, how did you know it was a it was a mantis because addy so. not only knows a lot about alexander solzhenitsyn and probably how to pronounce it properly <laughs> she also happens to be here and knew exactly what it was so she suggested that i could move it so I looked some instructions up online because Faith was being a typical three-year-old in tears over never being able to use her bike again. Uh, you just take something sharp. I used a kitchen paring knife and just scraped it right off. And it kind of like, just like cutting through that sty- that crunchy styrofoam insulation. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what it felt like. So I just scraped it right off of the bottom and it came off or of the tire because it was on the inside rim and it came off pretty cleanly. And then there are two options. One is you can glue it to towards the base or a V of a bush, or you can tie it on. So I just got some garden twine that I use for staking my beans and things like and staking my tomatoes. I just took some garden twine and wrapped it around and around this little egg case near the base of mm-hmm. one of the bushes in the front of our house. So who knows? I don't know what I was they say, look we like. We could have just hatch. put it in a terrarium and and like hung on to it all winter and watch them hatch. Yeah, that's true. I should see if we can. I wonder. I wonder if there's something to be said for it them being in the cold. Because if they were to hatch, keep it outside on the counter. Yeah, but I'm just saying, if we were to keep it inside, they would probably hatch sooner because they that would. That could be fun. That well, but then we wouldn't have Do anything. They eat each other. I don't know. But we would then have to feed them, or we would have to put them out in the cold and they would die because they would have nothing to eat. We can feed them. Do you remember before we figured out that we could feed David our first praying mantis? Yeah, what did we did we order crickets in a box? Bought crickets at PetSmart and it was I can't remember. It was embarrassingly expensive to keep this praying mantis alive when we had grasshoppers everywhere in our yard. But I would say probably $5 a week to keep one praying mantis in food. It's also very hard to know how much to feed a praying mantis in captivity. But don't they just go get their own food? You just put stuff in there and they kill it when they're hungry? That's kind of what I've observed. Uh, We had like three or four crickets in there one time and he didn't do anything. And then eventually they all disappeared. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, you can, if you find a praying mantis egg case that's hardened... Just do a search for it. Do a DuckDuckGo search, not a Google search, because Google's terrible. And do a search, and you can move it. You can just tie it or glue it to the base of a tree. And apparently, that will work out just peachy. So, more on praying mantises. There you go. That's interesting. So, um, I'm I'm working through... You haven't listened to that YouTube I made it about 15 minutes into it. Okay. Um... 
Okay, we'll save it for another episode. It's just so fascinating. Anyway, speaking of the best listeners ever, we get listeners who tell us they're our favorite people to disagree with. <laughs> so that's fun. Um, we get other listeners who say um, they love... For the most part, everybody seems to really love hearing how, we, how we're, we're raising our kids, or at least just family tales, and our application of Scripture to life. That came out quite a bit, too. Mm -hmm. um, so speaking of loving to just disagree with us, and I'm going to have to jump up and get a book that I left upstairs. Oh, okay. They appreciate our hearing our thought process and still disagreeing with us. And we don't us. sound necessarily super crazy. Yeah. Um, Although I feel like I might we, be getting crazier as we go. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Do you remember... I can't remember who sent us this message the first time they'd started listening to our show and started at the beginning and worked through and commented oh, how yeah, interesting yeah. our, it was maybe Devin, how interesting it was that our perspectives on COVID and masks and lockdowns, because mm -hmm. we recorded straight through all of that. And for sure, our perspectives have changed and continue changing rapidly not rapidly, but continue evolving. But I was sitting in our in the bathtub, and you forwarded me a message from somebody who had sent a fairly lengthy email in a good way with counterpoints to some of the opinions that we had espoused on vac on the covid vaccination mm -hmm. and we got really respectful thoughtful charitable kind feedback from a handful of people and i don't know why it struck me so deeply in that moment but i have this very clear memory of thinking people there are such charitable people in the world there's and I, still people out there who can disagree charitably. Well, and I think maybe this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but uh, I feel like I'm going through a season right now of, and I, I do this every couple of years, of more or less being surrounded by people and yet still feeling alone and thus lonely and I'm not actually surrounded by people literally most of the time. She doesn't want to be, you because guys. She doesn't want to be surrounded by no, people. No, because I'm a homeschool mom. And you're an introvert. I'm home with Can you my imagine kids. how terrible if you're surrounded by people literally all the time? I do. It would be exhausting. But, <laughs> but when I was in college, I did an exchange program for a semester in Oxford. And I left... I think I left Billings on New Year's Day... And the Oxford terms are different calendar-wise than American college semesters. And so I was there for about three and a half months. No, January, February, two and a half months. And I came home before my college had even gone on spring break. I was home for the summer. And I flew into Michigan and was going to spend a week hanging out with friends. And... Then was going to, I must have left my car in, oh yeah, I did leave my car in Michigan because I wasn't going to drive it home over the, in the, over, in the winter. Uh, so my car had been left in Michigan over winter break, 
left it there for the two and a half months I was in in Oxford, flew into Michigan, was going to spend a week hanging out with friends, and then drive my car back to Billings for the summer. Well, when I showed up in mid-March, I had a... It was a very strange experience that made me have to stop and think why it was strange and hurtful and to this day still has left such a big defining impression on me. And it is that everybody's lives had gone on without me. My roommate had a new roommate, of course. Uh, we, I was in a sorority, and they have to fill every room in the sorority mm-hmm. house. And so somebody else had moved into my bed. And I had been roommates with her since the second semester of... No, since our sophomore year. So we were roommates for three and a half... No, two and a half years would have been a full three years except for my semester in, in Oxford. So somebody else has taken my spot in my room, and my roommate had actually gotten a boyfriend while I was gone, and I think that she felt like it was a guy I wouldn't have approved of. And so she didn't let me into that relationship at all while I was... And if I had been there at the beginning, you know, as she was getting to know him, maybe things would have gone differently. But everyone has school and all of their activities and... The sorority had all of these plans that just had gone on without me. And so I spent this week feeling essentially invisible in the place where I felt like I should have been able to jump back in and belong. And Mm. so it was this profoundly lonely experience because, you know, for five minutes, people are happy to see you. And then their lives go, their lives keep moving on. And so to me, I go through these seasons every now and then where I feel kind of alone in a crowd and it that's my pinning definitive experience of that but I feel like I've been feeling that a little bit lately and so to have a such warm charity and grace extended from people that we don't even know personally in how they interacted with us in something that they genuinely believe that we're wrong in was very striking to me and just kind of struck me to my core of hmm. just feeling really grateful that there are people not just out there, but actually in our world. And on, you know, and on the flip side of that, too, a lot of people have said we make them feel not crazy. So that's also encouraging. Mm-hmm. Not everybody disagrees with us. That's true. Yes. So that's fun. We've had a lot of... But no, your feelings, I think, are a little bit akin to some of mine in that I've been reflecting a lot on how... I've been looking at my circles and my friendships and those things that I'm uh, involved in. And and over the, for the most part, things haven't changed a ton, but I think there's kind of, I have kind of a gap in my life right now that church stuff used to fill. Mm -hmm. And as we've stepped back from a lot of that and I stopped working for the church, it's um, there's a, a void there. That doesn't make me necessarily feel lonely per se. I just feel kind of like diminished a little bit in my social, uh, my social world, which I don't think is necessarily for me anyway. Is not necessarily bad because I have a tendency to go too far in one direction. Um, but I'm wondering if it's related to some of that too. Kind of stepping the, back a little bit. From, yeah, I think it definitely is for me. I as I've 
been recognizing this in myself. My, I'm trying to make it have me turn Godward to turn to God for comfort, to turn to God for just trusting him that in his time and in his way, he will provide what I need. And in the meanwhile, he is what I need ultimately. And so that's that's where I've kind of been going with that. But in the meanwhile, recognizing that there are great people out there and being grateful for them. And I also, that same night, was reading this book, Humble Roots, which I referenced ages ago when I, I think I started reading it on my way to my Canevox meeting in June. So I'll let you finish. I have a thought, too, oh. but I'll let you finish your Humble Roots thing. Oh, well, anyway... Uh, she's she's talking about the different ways that humility manifests itself, and I'm in chapter. Oh, what's it? What chapter number is it? I'm in chapter seven, which has was also an appropriate thing for me to be reading as the gardening season in Montana is coming to close because she's talking about how vine ripened tomatoes are the real thing, and chemically ripened store bought tomatoes are such a pale comparison and how we need to be training our brains and our, you know, and our taste buds in this case to appreciate the real thing and to, uh, oh, that was my other, just a second. I gotta write something down quickly so I don't forget it. Uh, another, another, our listeners are the best, uh, facet, but anyway, um, that I just thought this chapter was really apropos to the opinion expressing uh, violence that we need to have in this day and age, as well as the, uh, the a couple of weeks ago, I was I talked about the teeter totter of needing to be righteous, having to be right and feel like I'm right with God. So she approaches that uh, in some ways and saying, as much as Western thought has been shaped by modernism, Western Christianity has been as well. Our love of human reason and rationality takes several different forms, but it can include proof texting, confusing principle and application and relying on apologetics to produce faith. It can look something like, if I just teach my children the right answers, they will become believers. If I just do enough research, if I can find the one biblical position on finances, food, entertainment, clothing, schooling, etc. If I just study long enough, I can figure out what X, Y, or Z means in my experience of the world or in scripture. And she says, in each case, rightness comes through comes through more and better knowledge and so we must commit ourselves to the tireless pursuit of knowing and we search and gather facts and peek around every corner for the real answer we become suspicious and never take anything at face value because the stakes are simply too high and then she goes on to talk about something that somebody whose last name is Belcher and uses Augustine to talk about epistemological humility. So epistemological is understanding how we know things. And so humility at that, it's not that truth doesn't exist or that human beings can't even know truth, but it leaves room for the understanding that my understanding of a situation 
could be wrong. Perhaps I don't have all the facts. Perhaps I've been influenced by cultural presuppositions. Or perhaps I'm simply a limited human being. So, in other words, epistemological humility leaves room for grace. Ultimately, our need to be right and to defend our righteousness is a form of self-reliance and pride. Within this frame, God approves of us not based on Christ's merit, but based on our ability to reach the right conclusions and to know the right answers. But don't be mistaken, such rational legalists are not all dour-faced Puritans desperately trying to squelch your fun. Rational legalism is not bound by church position, tradition or side of the aisle. It's entirely possible to hold very progressive views and hold them out of the pride of being right. After all, you're not like those backward fundamentalists. You are enlightened. And then she talks about uh, Isaac Watts describes a person with a dogmatical spirit that leads to arrogance of mind. Every one of his opinions appears to him as if it were written with sunbeams, and he grows angry that his neighbor does not see it in the same light. He tells them boldly that they resist the truth and sin against their consciences. In other words, in order to prove himself right, the dogmatic man must prove everyone else wrong, and have him help him if he ever comes up against his own mistakes. If God's favor rests on him because he is righteous, he cannot possibly be risk risk being wrong. Uh, so she goes on to say that we we have to look to Christ's righteousness because if God accepts us based on our being right about an issue, then we have to always fight to prove ourselves right. But if God accepts us based on our um, it's based on Jesus' being right and Jesus being righteous. And I think that that passage is really, it's a great passage, you guys, if you happen to to have the book in chapter 7. I could have read a ton more of this, but she talks about how our feeling of safety is linked to our feeling of being right. And I haven't, I started listening to the podcast that JR is referring to, which might be a bit out there for some of you guys. Uh, in the conspiracy theory world, but it makes a lot of sense to me. But but at the very at the very least, this I, if you look at where our culture is right now, I don't think anyone can dispute that we have elevated a desire to be safe above mo- as a culture, and not just American culture, but a lot of global culture. I mean, for Pete's sake, look at Australia. We're going to keep you safe, so safe from COVID that the police are going to beat you and hospitalize you for wearing, not wearing a mask outside or leaving, you know, your house without permission. But, but this, this, this elevation of the desire to be safe, because that's a natural human instinct. I mean, the flight or fight, fight or flight instinct that we have is self-preservation. We have an innate need and desire to be and feel safe and kids don't develop psychologically in an in a proper way without this fundamental need for feeling safe and so but it's been elevated to a point where there's only one definition of safety and there's only one way to preserve safety and we preserve safety at all other costs and we 
demonize people who disagree with us about what it means to be safe and we lionize people who agree with us about what it is to keep us safe and if you look at most people there there's a handful of people who obsessively post covid statistics on my facebook feed from their various regions and i don't think it would do any good but still, the next time one particular one does it, I'm going to say, what are you trying to accomplish here? Is it is it that you're trying to chastise? Do you not feel safe? Obviously, you don't feel safe. Are you trying to chastise people? What are you trying to accomplish by constantly putting the statistic in front of people? Do you, Are you trying to pull people down with you in your feeling of unsafety? Are you trying to motivate them to change their behavior so that you feel more safe? Uh, but all of that also is caught up in a sense of of being right, that there's very little epistemological humility, to use the phrase that mm. she coined there, that you see going around in terms of what does it mean, how do we stay safe, and how do we even define safe in our culture? And so, anyway, it was reading that was a challenge to me to pursue epistemological humility because obviously by the com- you know the fact that we've changed our views so much over the last 18 months 20 months is evidence that we're not we're certainly not infallible in our opinions and our interpretation of the facts but having been engaged going circling back to the beginning there having been engaged by people who were so charitable makes me want to engage people more humbling or in a more humble way because it's a blessing to to everybody to be able to have that sort of conversation well i I think it's another reason why i feel like we have the best listeners ever and it's just kind of a weird year of life for us i guess maybe i feel like i've had far more meaningful uh personal, meaningful, theologically challenging, intellectually challenging conversations with all of my <laughs> digital friends, you know, the listeners of the show who engage with, engage with us on stuff we talk about and stuff we think through and then provide their own way more than actual human beings. And it's not really for lack of effort. Well, they're actual human beings. <laughs> you know, I know they're actual human, but I mean, yeah. one-on-one, in-person, uh, you know, in the presence, the physical presence of somebody conversations, which is an interesting thing for me. Cause I don't, you know, it's just an interesting, I've never, it's interesting to be engaging with people with this sort of dynamic, um, for me. Um, but I would feel like, you know, the people who I would count as my friends, I would have this kind of relationship with them where we'd have these kind of, we don't, mm. You know, and it's not really for lack of trying. Most people are busy or doing other things. And I don't, I don't think it's. And your friends face to face are sort of like your family. You're in a sense, you are friends that you've, you've chosen that relationship, but our online friends uh, fit our niche in terms of what we like to think and talk Mm, about. Yeah. And so there's, I haven't thought about that. I, you know, like you look at a church body and one of the things that's 
amazing about how a local church fellowship works is you wouldn't necessarily choose these people as your primary community, your primary social world, your primary spiritual support, Mm -hmm. and yet God put this particular group of people together into a local body to grow you and to sharpen you in your differences, where our online friends... They're specifically engaging something that we've said, and so we're going to have the more in-depth conversations. Yeah, but isn't it like just really wild and amazing that that you know take take just the small group of people on our Telegram channel we've had multiple conversations with. Um, <laughs> isn't it just crazy that that God has put all of us together mm-hmm. in this time and place, like? This isn't random. And that because he of, wants us to have conversations with Alan and Anna and Elijah. Like he wants us all like to have and then them to have conversations. And I, I I mean I recognize there is the fact that we have this, you know, the medium creates this as well. But even the listeners on the sh- even the people that listen to the show, you know, they just pick up they God wants them to engage with us at that particular time and place for whatever reason he he thinks we need to do that. And that's just kind of wild to me. It is. Like, what what modern technology has enabled in terms of national and global church body relationships is pretty cool. You know, we had some missionaries visiting Billings this last week that we have visited and known since before we were married. We've both visited yes. them separately and this was one of the first times before we were married and then together and they, over in a muslim country in asia and we because of the amazingness of technology we see them every 2 to 3 years they've watched our kids grow up online and so they can bump into our kids in church and know exactly who they are and delight in seeing them because yeah. they've seen us grow as a couple. And if you think about the way that missionaries making their rounds and raising their support worked, even in like the 1970s when our friend Carl went off to Africa for the first time, you know, I mean, they sent everything on a boat. They traveled on a boat and they didn't see their family for years And their kids, they did a bunch of different schooling options, but they were in rural Africa for a while and they sent their kids to a missionary boarding school Mm -hmm. in a bigger city. And so they would go for months at a time without even seeing their own kids or hearing from them. Where these days, even if you're in rural Africa, you can FaceTime with your kids. I yeah. mean, just just the way technology well, remember, has changed, I remember the world is amazing. You, when you were working with Chip at the other nonprofit traveling to all the nifty places, Chip used to work for the State Department, and he, you and I would be uh, uh, Skyping, you know, every mm-hmm. every couple of days. If you had internet, hey, we'll Skype, you know, or we'll see each other. We're talking to each other regularly, and Chip never talked to his Skype with his wife. Yeah. And I think I asked him about it one time. He's like, I just, I didn't, I didn't grow up. He's like, I didn't start traveling with Skype. In that era. We never could, we were never able to do that, and so we never had the habit of doing that. Mm-hmm. And now being able to do that is super fun for him, you know. I mean, there's some benefits there. Yes, for sure. So, I... This is this is my other when I was like, oh, yeah, got to write this down as I was talking about 
uh, tomatoes being vine ripened. And speaking of which, you guys, we 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 had a cold snap earlier than normal, and so in mid September, all of our food, our vet garden frosted over, and so I ended up picking a whole <clears throat> bunch of tomatoes that had not ripened on the vine, and I have them sitting in the windowsill. Big garden heirloom tomatoes that we didn't not a single one of them had even ripened yet because we planted our garden so it's only almost 90 degrees today for that yeah but the (laughs) the plant is completely wilted because it frosted but i'm i'm hoping that these tomatoes as they ripen in my window will have somewhere in between the flavor of an amazing sun ripened tomato and a store-bought chemically ripened tomato Anyway, so that's that's the framing commentary in this book, Humble Roots, in the chapter I was working on. But the tomatoes on the vine reminded me that after our last episode, which was two weeks ago, I had referenced Uncle Vernon and his organic peach farm. And he called us because uh, I'd gotten some of it wrong. Oh, that reminds me of something Speaking else I want to talk about. epistemological humility, there's nothing like... Quoting somebody's <laughs> illustration and, <laughs> and screwing it up, and screwing it up, and having them call you on it. But, but I called Uncle Vernon. It was probably four o'clock, maybe even five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and it was the perfect way to end my week. In fact, I hung up the phone with him. It was literally like a five-minute conversation. I hung up the phone with him and was like, "I maybe I need to call you every Friday afternoon for a little sermon. Pick me up." But So I had said in John 15 that Jesus prunes us. In John 15, the Father is the one with the pruning shears because we are vitally connected to the vine who is Jesus. So Jesus is the one providing us with our life and the Father is the one who is pruning. And in pruning, Uncle Vernon says, The goal is getting the branch to be closer to Jesus. So an expert gardener or farmer knows that the further out a branch gets from the trunk, from the main vine, from the source of life, the less fruitful it's going to be Hmm. and the less juicy and delicious the fruit will be. So he says, my job... As a, as a peach farmer, is not as many peaches as possible. It's the best, plumpest, juiciest peaches because nobody's going to want to buy wimpy, mealy fruit that's grown on a long branch that's, way, that's far away from the source. So the gardener, with his expert eye and all of his experience, knows how much fruit, good fruit, a branch can bear and prunes accordingly. And the goal, like he repeated, is to to keep the branch and all of the branch and its fruit as close to the vine as possible. And then he so I should I should trim all my apple trees back. Well, I actually I think I asked him that, and he was like, "Look, I'm a peach guy, not an apple guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only talking about peaches here. <laughs> so maybe maybe and not. those in California, not in Montana. But he uh, he says or wherever we're at. He says we're closest to God when things are tough because we've been pruned, and that's when we bear the best fruit. Hmm. So 
I wanted to correct, not only stand corrected on that from one of our wonderful listeners, but also add and expand to the analogy, since it's such a tremendously rich analogy. Another great example of we have the best listeners. Exactly. And then I forgot to mention this. So Titus, so we did that that trip to um, Salt Lake City for Titus's judo tournament. And he won. He was undefeated. He won all. Uh, there was five. He had five matches. Four matches. He had five matches. And each of the participants had one by match. Oh. So he ended up winning all four of his matches and took and nobody else won everything. So he took gold. So he was super stoked with that in the van. And let's be honest, we were too. Because- I, I, I fully thought he'd get his butt kicked. I mean, one of the coaches down there... Uh, we'll s- probably see her team again. One of the coaches is a former Olympic athlete. She has a school in Littleton, Colorado. Her students were there, and they're super like. And then she seemed to have some rivalry with another coach uh, that Titus competed against two of their students. Another coach in Idaho, and like they, ha- I mean, these people are like crazy hardcore. And we don't, we're not near. We don't train like that. We don't have competition classes that go five days a week so i was pretty stoked that titus did as well as he did and the van was amazing still continues to be the best appreciating investment i feel like i've made in my family in forever (laughs) um but that said um we had two listeners reach out to us andy and chris um at different times both of them said hey if you're i know i realize you're coming to town love to buy you a beer or dinner or something let me know and i'm like great and then, like a day later, another one texted me and said, Hey, uh, you're coming to town. You know, if you need a place to crash, driveway, whatever, let me know. I'd uh, love to make you guys dinner. And so I'm fairly uh, social by nature, so I took them both up on it. Come to find out, while I'm there, I'm texting one at the other guy's house. And he's like, Oh, it's not so-and-so, is it? And I'm like, Yeah, actually it is. He's like, We're elders at the same church. He turned me on to your podcast. So that was super fun. A funny little random thing. But also one thing that, because that was actually going to be my last, we have the best listeners, Mm -hmm. that people just jump into hospitality and enjoy building relationship with random people. But you guys also stuck around and went to church with them on Sunday. Yeah. And I don't know if we talked about this after our big California trip, but I... Our kids have grown up only, they've, they've all been baptized because we're Presbyterian into the church that we go to when we're healthy every Sunday. And very, very rarely do they ever attend a different church. And I just think it's so fantastic for our kids and for kids in general. I remember, do you remember, well, you moved a lot as a kid going to, even my grandparents' church was so weird. It's just like your church feels like home and any yeah. other church just feels weird. <laughs> and I, the the being... Thankfully, that wears off a little bit as you grow older. It does. And, and I think I, I've given this a very small amount of thought, but I'd love to see if other people have opinions on this. I think that a kid's sense that that going to another church is weird is not just because it's a different church building and it's a different pastor and things are done differently 
And but also because there's this very real sense that what we're doing here is even if it's a church with 500 people in it, that this is an intimate thing that we're doing. Just like it, it, it takes practice to not be uncomfortable praying in front of other adults for me. And because it's this very intimate thing that you're doing that rightly is reserved for doing it with people that you consider family. Yeah. And so to be singing God's praises with people that you don't personally know and trust feels like this weird combination of vulnerable and out of place, just like going to dinner. I'm talking about some some therapist needs to call me. (laughs) I have a very clear memory as a kid of going to somebody's house and being served spaghetti. And the spaghetti sauce was very different than the spaghetti sauce that my mom made. And I have have, so many weird memories of, of other people's houses as a kid. Yeah. So you go into somebody else's house and what's perfectly normal for them is a very strange to you because you're used to your own family and you're supposed to be. That's how your brain develops appropriately is the predictability and even hearing another dad read the bible aloud or read a bedtime story aloud is weird because bedtime stories are supposed to be read by my dad and likewise the pastoral prayer is supposed to be done by my pastor and praying for the people that i know and that i'm concerned about and you know the blessing in our church thanks to covid i think this is a really positive change for us families go forward to receive communion altogether and one of the pastors or elders prays a blessing over the kids who come forward as a family. I, as a kid, I would find it very strange to be visiting another church and have some random dude praying God's blessing over me. As an adult who has way more experience of the global church, it's amazing that that you can bring a random kid forward and some random dude who doesn't even know my kid's name can pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a very real blessing from the Lord can come from that person's mouth onto the mouth of my kids. And to be in, as you were last Sunday, in a church where you've got two families that you've known for two days, (laughs) and yet you can thoroughly enjoy worshiping the same God because you all have the same spirit in you, and you can feel a very real, intimate connection with them, with the people that you're worshiping with, without feeling inappropriately vulnerable vulnerable you know because you have the same spirit and there's just uh, and unlike unlike islam where the feeling of familiarity is because there's so much enforced uniformity you know i can go to any mosque and there's very clear expectations of what should happen at that mosque on any given at any given time. And so I can, you know, I mean, we have some of that. We say the Lord's Prayer and there's universality right. in that. But but what you expect to see in a Christian church on any given Sunday around the world is so, there's so much variety because we don't have to have uniformity in order to have unity. And I think that as an adult, it's very cool to 
I think you should prioritize going to your own church body because you don't have those relationships and that intimacy if you don't. But what a cool, joyful experience it is to be traveling, you know, and not miss out on the joy of worshiping with other believers yeah. And not have to feel weirdly out of place while doing it. And I, you know, I had a couple thoughts along those lines. You know, one of them was um, I'd been talking with another uh, dad, and he's got he's got two girls and a son. And I I met him at a tournament here, and they traveled up to a tournament here in Billings. Met him there, and so we started talking about tournaments a little bit. And um, come to find out, he doesn't do tournaments on Sundays. You know, and I was like, oh, you know, thinking from Idaho probably Mormon, but you never know. And it, yeah, it is. He's, he's, he's a LDS. And, um, but it got, it, it made me realize that most of the tournaments in the judo world are on Saturdays, which I, I didn't realize that right off. I was like, well, that's actually kind of nice because then you can, for instance, get up the next morning and be like, oh, I'm either going to, I may not travel today or I'm going to travel today, but I'm going to go to church. Um, and so you can still worship and not have, and you can still, I was explaining this to somebody the other day, like I'm not a strict Sabbatarian, but you know, I do enjoy keeping my Sundays with nothing going on. Just don't deliberately, you rest, you just don't have, you just clear your agenda and it's, and so it's, you know, it's nice to have those things on Saturdays, but it also made me recognize that as we as a family do our, you know, yearly travelings and yearly place goings and camping adventures, uh, we've already had multiple invites to be. What next? If you're in Rochester, come see me. If you're in West Virginia or South Carolina or wherever you guys are at, it was like, let me know, you know. And that's awesome. I love that. That's awesome. I'd love to see all of you guys. But I also recognize that if we did that every single stop, our family would miss that family camping time, and Molly would get burned out, <laughs> and you know all of the things that go on there. So I recognize that I'll probably have to probably have to come up with some sort of a set of boundaries or, you know, maybe it's trip dependent. Maybe it's just like, Oh, well there's only one stop where somebody's invited us to come see him, you know, and type of thing. And that won't be a big issue, but it just, it made me realize that I'm gonna have to put some boundaries in place to keep from, you know, cause if we did as a family, if we did what I did in Salt Lake and every day was with somebody new, no, wouldn't work. No, <laughs> exactly. So you know, some of it's situational dependent, but I recognize that you know that's we'll probably get that a lot as we go see people. So you know, but um, that doesn't mean don't reach out. No, and I'm just letting people, folks know that it's not if we if we decline for whatever reason, it's not personal. It's like sometimes I don't think we have that many people. I don't. I don't think we do either. But like, I'm going to, you know. We're headed to Colorado uh, in a couple of weeks for another judo tournament for Titus, and I probably won't. If any of you are in Colorado, Denver, um, I'm from Denver. I've got two guys in my wedding that were in my wedding that I'd like to connect with. So um, I don't know. Maybe we can have a giant powwow at a Mexican restaurant. (laughs) 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 And just like Telegram, the fans can meet each other face to face. Uh, Are you sure you like the show? Cool. And then new relationships are formed or whatever. But. Anyway, it's just kind of, it's the best, we have the best listeners. It's just so fun to have these kind of relationships with people who don't, um, who don't. Who don't, there's not uniformity, but there's joy and unity. There you go. I like it. Exactly. So anyway, we'll include, um, I'll include a link to the Humble Roots book that Molly mentioned. And then, 
uh, a link to our telegram telegram invite link in the show notes uh, of your preferred and jr's promising too busy to flush stickers yes if you do join telegram between now and i did get them all in between now and christmas now and the first of the year I'm going to send uh, a sticker pack. And basically, I've got three different sizes of two different styles of stickers. Is that your knee popping? Yeah, sorry. Um, old guy knee problems. Um, I was going to send a sticker stickers to you guys uh, if you join between now and uh, and only one person. And to get your addresses, don't email me. Send me a message on a private message on Telegram. And I've got a separate folder. You can actually divide things into folders. So I've got everything organized neatly in folders. And I can put all of your stuff into a folder and then uh, and then be able to manage uh, who I'm shipping to at that particular point in time. So there you go. Um, if you want to f- send us a message otherwise on the internets, uh, you can do so with the postcard feature on our website, www.toobusytoflush.com. You can send us an email at tb2f at pm.me, or you can even send me a text message at 406-318-7136. And obviously, the biggest compliment, you guys are all awesome, as we've spent the whole show talking about, but the biggest compliment is when we uh, we hear that they heard about uh, the show from one of you guys. So telling your friends... Um, Telling your friends about us is the greatest compliment anybody can ever give us. If somebody wanted to compliment us, but you don't have to. If there's something you would like us to uh, talk about or inquire about, you can either you can send us a message on that too. We don't always take user requests, but there's some good stuff. You guys all have great stuff out there that's just fun to like, you know, think about and all, be all, yeah, all the things, all the things. It's fun. So, um. But, 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 I think that's about all I've got. Uh, sorry we missed last week, but like I said, Molly was uh, basically sleeping. She would wake up in the morning, um, teach the kids school, and then uh, go to sleep again, go lie down somewhere around lunchtime, maybe wake up around dinner time, maybe not, and sleep Yes, all night. I fed us dinner. <clears throat> I did a bunch of the meals last week. That was kind of fun. I actually went through the whole week and didn't double up on breakfast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wow, I did it. And I don't bake. So it's like doubly hard when you don't bake muffins or coffee cakes or anything like that. It's like, you know, we can have French toast and then we can have pancakes and waffles and <laughs> eggs and oatmeal. And that's about the limit. And the kids wanted yogurt one morning. So and our kids don't eat oatmeal anymore. They're oatmealed out. Are they really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So on Mondays, so I used to have you guys, this is a side thing. I used to do a breakfast schedule because I'm not a morning person. And... In order to function well in the morning, I had a breakfast schedule that was Mondays are oatmeal, Wednesdays are waffles. I can't remember what Tuesday. I think Tuesday was something with eggs. Thursday was yogurt and granola. And Friday was like another egg day or something. I can't remember. And then Saturdays was pancakes. And usually I try to bake muffins on Saturday night for Sunday morning breakfast. But um, the kids... The kids did oatmeal every Monday morning for probably three years, and now they're burnt out on it. So now I try to do my banana oatmeal breakfast cookies, which are pretty easy, and that way they're still getting oatmeal, but it's in a form that they find more palatable because it has chocolate chips in it. Ooh, I love chocolate chips. Uh, Cool. So I guess uh, it's been about an hour, so it's good. There you go. All right, guys. 
Hope you have a great week and everybody stays healthy. And if you're not healthy, you get healthy soon and uh, get rested up and all the things. So we'll talk to you later.